Welcome to episode 2 of the Minivan Dad Soccer Pod, the only soccer pod with a host who actually admits to driving a minivan. Again this week we'll have no graphics, no music, or any guests, because I haven't had time to figure out the technology to do it. We're coming a day later than we did last week, because yesterday in the Chicagoland area was a snow day, and as a parent how do you spend snow days? Shoveling and spending time with the kids in the snow, which was great fun, that wet heavy snow. Not so fun. Didn't get to watch a lot of soccer over the weekend because it was the last weekend of leaf pickup in the area, so therefore spent a lot of time raking and bagging leaves. And that's never any fun either. So to start this week's show, we're going to start trace all the way back to last Wednesday for a midweek fixture with Guernsey and fellow team in the relegation battle of Hearn Bay. Is it? It's November. And there were some references to this game being a six-pointer already. That to me seems a little early to talk about a game as a six-pointer that early. However, only two teams in in the league go down. And one of them is Tamsmead Town, which they went under after they played Guernsey in October, I believe. So Hearn Bay is currently sitting in the drop zone. Guernsey was tied for 18th at that point going into the game. So I guess the six-pointer it was. Guernsey went down early in the seventh minute with a terrible back pass from by Tom Delamere, and he'll be the first to admit it was a terrible back pass. Left it middle of the field with only the goalie to beat, and Earn Bay did exactly that. Go up one nothing early. Midway through the first half, the Green Lions got level with a pass from across from Charlton Govine to Carlos Cano, who was standing on the back post, and he knocked it away. The, the game really did feature a ton of loose passes, bad giveaways, and it was kind of interesting because even though Hern Bay was the bottom of the table, they played fearlessly, which left the game wide open. And two teams at the bottom of the table in a wide open game, it does tend to get a little bit sloppy, but it was really, it was pretty entertaining. Hern Bay's offense, specifically in the first half, really just featured going over the top time and time again. And if they connected with their forwards, great. And if they didn't, they would they would pressure Guernsey a little bit and see if they made a mistake in the back. And that did lead to a goal, so I guess the tactic tactically wasn't a bad thing. Um, second half, Guernsey was kept in the game by three magnificent saves by man of the match, Callum Stanton. And then in the 91st minute, soccer can be a cruel game, Wilf Zackerly cleans up a goal put the green lines in front for good, giving them a, a much-needed three points. And to kind of go into that a little bit, um, that moved the Guernsey out of the drop zone, moved them up to 15th, and really an important win. They didn't look nearly as good as they did on Saturday uh, against um, against the league leaders. However, a win is a win, and realistically probably a draw would have been more fair as it was on the on the previous weekend and but soccer can be a cruel game that way. As we move forward, we had five hundred twenty eight in attendance for a midweek game, which I thought was was phenomenal crowd and it actually turned out to be the biggest crowd in the league for even Saturday's games. So a good three points for the Green Lions. It was their hundred and fiftieth league win. It was their seven hundredth league goal. And the only other thing I found interesting in that game was in the seventieth minute Guernsey actually did subbed all three in one shot. They brought on Fazakerly, 
Marsh, and Dyer, and took out Smith, Tom Delamere, and Seb Skillen. Never, I don't think I've ever seen that in a game that would be on TV or on air, but I guess it happened and it, and it worked. Green Lions got the goal they needed, and therefore, as Mick said in the broadcast, it was a stolen win. Neither side was particularly good, but the Green Lions will take the three points. Which moves them to Saturday, where they're playing Seven Oaks for the first time, as the league reconsolidated as it does every year. It was said during this during the broadcast that had Seven Oaks won the game, it would have been the 89th different team to beat Guernsey. I'm not quite sure who their stat man was, but that to me was just that was a phenomenal stat to actually hear, and it was enough that I actually took note of it. Um, this game was played in front of, let's see, it was 135 in attendance at that game, and probably 10% of those were Guernsey fans, as they call them, the mainlanders. It's the mainlanders that are fans of Guernsey that live in England. They came down, came out for the game. Um, game itself, first half was really kind of uneventful. Guernsey found their foot, got on the front foot a little bit early on, but really not a whole lot happened. And then later in the later in the half, it seemed like seven zero kind of grew into the game and probably took a bit of control of it. Um, you know, it, not a ton to go on. Guernsey got a goal in about the in the eighty third minute to go ahead, and then they got their second goal, which was um, by Seb Skilling, who came on in the thirty first minute and had a, actually had a really wonderful game. He to me, he seemed like he was really good. And, and flew in the attack, specifically in the first half when they were on the front foot. In the second half, uh, Loring had a phenomenal game. He he had the assist with Skilling and the stoppage time goal. But to me, that was really not much different than everybody was pushed up for Seven Oaks. Therefore, it just kind of like kind of like in hockey would be the equivalent of an empty netter. So Guernsey gets six points out of the two games. Moves them up from tie from 18th all the way up to 13th as we move into this weekend, where the Green Lions will be hosting Hythe Town at Foots Lane. And one question I get asked is, how does one from Chicago become a fan of Guernsey? And actually, another question even simpler than that is, where is Guernsey? What is Guernsey? For those who don't know, the quick geography lesson is Guernsey is an island, a channel island, which it means it's in the English Channel between off the coast of France between England and France and they play in the English League they're they're a protectorate from England they have pretty much independent but I believe England runs their does protection for them I discovered Guernsey when I was doing a search back in 2013 on the FA Cup I was curious to see how FC United of Manchester was doing it's always been fascination just to find out how that breakaway club has moved up and to what they're doing and when I was looking up the FA Cup I saw one club from Guernsey I'm like whoa hey what's that so I looked clicked on it and then started looking looked at their club's website and I found I could find highlights and actually at that point live streams from old games so I started watching it thought it was kinda cool and started paying attention paid for the subscription to follow them and have been a fan ever since it's always fun because the community itself has has welcomed me in. The mainlanders consider me one of their own, even though I'm on the other side of the pond from them. But I'm kind of considered an unofficial mainlander just because I'm I support the team from afar. And anytime I'm watching the game and I comment on it on Twitter, the the hosts the presenters always 
make a mention that I'm watching in America. They think it's kind of cool. I think it's amazing. I think now I have seven different Green Lions jerseys and probably I'll pick up my eighth this year with the new white one that was finally debuted this past Saturday against Seven Oaks. It's pretty. It's just fun stuff to be a fan of a team that welcomes you into the community even though they don't know you from afar. I think it's one of the awesome parts of social media that that it's possible to do that. I pay 10 bucks a month or 10 pounds a month, I believe, or maybe even more at this point to watch them online. The games are online. They will keep them. You can watch the game recap until the next one, then it deletes. And same with their highlights packages. They have a one-man camera operations in Ollie. He does a great job. It's in HD. They bring in, um, they have their commentator that's there, Mick, who's there for all the home, almost all the home games, and then some of the road games, and when they can't find him, they'll even crowdsource it. They'll go onto Twitter and say they need somebody to do the play-by-play for the games, and they sometimes they have their own, one of the mainlanders do it. Sometimes they find a, a fan of the other club that, that comes into the booth and does the presentation, and it's just a whole lot of fun stuff. Also this week, we had the Chicago Fire. Looks like they they exercised and declined their options on players going into the 2019 season. So currently the Fire said goodbye to Patrick McLean, Drew Connor, Michael DeLeu, Daniel Johnson, Mosivian, or Movician, excuse me, and Louis Solniak and Jonathan Campbell. They picked up their options on Elliot Collier, Jorge Corrales, Brant Bronico, Diego Campos, Stephen Cleveland, Raheem Edwards, and Nicholas Hassler. To me, none of the ones they picked up and none of the ones they, they let go were of any surprise. I'm guessing it sounds like they're going to bring back Michael DeLeu, which I think is a good idea. And even doing it as a renegotiation is a good idea. He was making some TAM money, but with the, with the injury he suffered at the end of the 2017 season and then was out most of 2018 recovering, I think he, I think a good incentive-laden contract's a good thing. I think DeLeu showed some promise at the end of the year. He's still a great locker room guy. I think he's a guy the club should keep, so hopefully they'll get to work that out. And the other players they have on a contract are um, Kappelhoff, Schweinsteiger, Matt Polster, and I, I know they're going to try and bring all of them back, and I hope so because they're necessary for any success the club's going to have going in. The comments on Twitter about the guys that let go were a lot of is that the club doesn't know what they're doing. And to me, that was kind of shocking. You're talking about a team that was fourth in the wooden spoon race, meaning fourth from the bottom of the entire league. Not keeping players that weren't effective, to me, that's not a big deal. To me, I wasn't, and again, I wasn't surprised by any of them. Would I have liked to see him maybe keep Drew Connor because he was a homegrown player? Sure. Did they take care of Drew Connor as a homegrown player? Maybe, maybe not. He couldn't. Drew Connor couldn't fight his way into the into the team regularly. That's what happens. If he can't be a regular on a team, probably shouldn't keep the contract. Same with Jonathan Campbell. Jonathan Campbell was a first round pick in the in the college draft a couple of years ago. Fought and scrapped. He seemed like he was a solid defender, but at by midway through the year, he was he wasn't featured at all. He was pretty much relegated to the bench and as a result you had Schweinsteiger playing in the defense as opposed to playing Campbell having a a prominent role it seems like the only prominent starter that actually that they didn't pick up the option on was Patrick McLean who 
was a starting goalkeeper until he got injured midway through the year, and once he came back, he started a couple more times, and then he was in that three-headed fire goalkeeping tandem with um, Richard Sanchez and Stephen Cleveland. Patrick McLean, if I recall correctly, was a late camp pickup, and they brought him in late in, late in the training and, training, and when Sanchez was ineffective, they put him in. Patrick McLean, to me, is a solid goalkeeper. He's also 30 years old. I think you can find a goalkeeper like him, if not him, at any point during the offseason. So if they decide that they don't want to keep Sanchez or Cleveland isn't developing like you wanted, I think of the two between McLean and Cleveland, I would have kept Cleveland too, and this, the reason is simple. Stephen Cleveland is 24 years old. Patrick McLean, like I said, is 30. A 24-year-old has a, has a much higher ceiling, and the difference in their play right now wasn't drastic, drastic enough that you were going to keep McLean. If you thought McLean was going to be your number one, you would have kept him. That's not the case, so they moved on from him. So we'll see what what holds what is next for the fire in terms of their goalkeeping and whether they will actually land Iker Casillas that they've been trying to get for the last couple of seasons. But with Casillas being back as the number one in Porto, maybe in the summer, who knows? I know they've been trying, and I think Casillas would make a great mentor for Stephen Cleveland if, if that's who you feel your future number one is going to be. It was just kind of interesting to read the reaction from the fans, as I mentioned earlier, only because I think an argument was made for nearly every player that was departing that they should have been kept on the roster. Again, like I said, this team was fourth from the bottom. I don't think any you have an argument to keep really a lot of them. I saw an argument from McLean, Drew Connor, DeLeu, I believe it would be Daniel Johnson, Solniak, maybe if he gets healthy, and Jonathan Campbell. The only one I really didn't see much on was Movsisian, which, hey, he scored four goals for Armenia. Didn't do a whole lot for the fire. I get it, he was good with Real Salt Lake, but really didn't do much. He had been sitting out there on waivers most of the year. Maybe as a lower, at a lower slot, maybe they'll bring him back in, but who knows. One thing that I did catch over the course of this week was I saw something on Twitter that kind of tweaked my attention and caught my attention, excuse me, and I thought was worth mentioning. And it was that from a club that came up from a lower league previously, the comment was that MLS fans diluted the quality of the fandom. And I really didn't know what that meant. So I kind of threw it out to Pat and Chris, my my cohorts with US Fan TV, the the legends behind US Fan TV actually. And they thought that was a good topic to get into. And the problem is I really don't know where to go with that. Because again, like I said, I don't know what that means. What makes a fan better than the other? Is it somebody who attends all the games? Is it somebody who's active on social media? You know, I've gone to Chicago Fire games since 2011 and go to probably half if not three quarters of the home games with my season tickets I comment some on social media the people who've been sitting around me pretty much the same people for years is that but they're not active on social media necessarily they aren't active in Chicago Fire Twitter does that make them lesser fans no I don't think it does they show up they have fun at the games they enjoy it with their families or their friends and and I think when you start talking about a fan, I, I believe that's really all you can do. You go to games, you have fun, you watch games on TV, and you talk about it. I don't think 
saying what makes one fan better than the other should matter. If you're a fan, you're a fan. And I think that's the probably the most important thing is to just really be a fan of the team itself. So, like I said, that just kind of caught my mind. And let me know what you think. I mean, you can always chime in at, at minivandadpod. I'll be more than happy to interact with that, or we can continue that and do another show, of course. Another thing that I wanted to incorporate into this show was my search for finding a big club. We, I get laughed at all the time on US Fan TV because I really don't follow big clubs. I don't know if you can argue Chicago, Chicago Fire is a big club. I don't really think you do. But like I said, no in the first show, no one in England, no one in France, no one in Germany, no one in Spain, no one in Italy. So this week I decided I would try a new team. The first one I'm going to give a shot a run out to is AS Roma. Their AS Roma's English website is to me is what I think the the best parts of Twitter. It's fun. They have a lot of information about the club. They never seem to take themselves seriously. They goof, they goof on themselves, but they have all they talk about their games and they also the, what caught my eye was their Twitter team of the day. And over the last week they've had Detroit City and also the Sacramento Republic where the Sacramento Republic they talked about how the club brought in seven people that were lost their homes in the campfire and put them in their player housing for an for a period of time. I don't know if it's still going on, but that the club reached out and took in people who lost everything in the campfire. They thought was amazing enough that they made a reference to it for their Twitter followers, and I just thought that was kind of cool too. So the only other game I got to watch this weekend was AS Roma taking on Udinese. And it kind of fit both things for me because I really like watching the games on ESPN+. Plus. So, And that's where every game in Serie A, you can find it. And so I got to check out that game on Saturday morning. Udinese played exactly how you would expect them to play when you're talking about Roma being near the, near the top of the table. Udinese, mid to lower tier team. Played a lot of counter counterattacking soccer, and it worked for three goals, really, one of which was taken away by handball, whether on by VAR, which was done rightfully, but um, I believe the manager from Roma ultimately called the team uninspiring or I think he almost used the term gutless, but it might have been phrased differently. And and I can't say it was wrong. They were on the front foot most of the game. They were pressing the game. Didn't have a lot of great scoring opportunities. It wasn't like Udinese's keeper had to stand on his head. And when Roma brought on Dzeko, you know, I saw into it, hey, that'll make the difference in the game. They were a little better. Not, I didn't think much. And apparently today, in a game in the in the Champions League, they lost 2 nothing to Real Madrid. I didn't get to watch any of it because sometimes work gets in the way from watching soccer. Other times it doesn't, but in this case it did. So, did that sour me away from to keep trying to watch them? No, I think I'll give them another spin this week. But Because, again, they have all the positive elements of social media. They aren't an overly huge team. They don't win every year. I believe they're going by Americans, so they kind of fit a few of the things that I that I look for in a team. So we'll see if AS Roma can keep my fandom and be one of the first big clubs I follow regularly, or they fall by the wayside of every other team that I've tried to follow in the past. Um, for this week's Ask the Ref, the only 
thing that I caught that caught my eye that I thought was even worth talking about was the goal that was pulled back by VAR from the Red Bull Atlanta playoff game, which would have made the game, I believe, one to one at the time. And when Red Bull scored on a set piece, one of their forwards was judged to be offsides and screening. Atlanta United goalkeeper Brad Guzan would have brought the game to level. VAR rightfully pulled it back. The interesting part of that to me was would Guzan have made the save with the full, without Red Bull having a forward in the offside position? Probably not. It was already going through one of the... I believe it might have been deflected. Bradley Ray Phillips' shot might have been deflected, but it went through one of the defenders, probably Parkhurst from Atlanta United, and got past him. He wasn't going to make the save anyway. However, the forward being in front of him did cause a split-second slower reaction, so rightfully that goal got taken away. So, again, there wasn't a whole lot of other things. Nobody brought anything to my attention. Please, by all means, send things to Minivan's Dad Pod on Twitter, and I'll be more than happy to take a look and give you the opinion that I have as a referee from all my years of experience. The first of the 2019 MLS jerseys were starting to leak out. According to Footy Headlines, I believe, is who had the first two. And the first one was NYCFC. And it looks like the biggest thing they're doing is they're just going to have one vertical stripe going through the crest. But the, the stripe is going to be navy blue and orange, which to me I think is an upgrade over last year's jersey home kit. This will be their home kit. And their home kit, the navy and orange, it only featured on the sleeves and really didn't feature even that much. To me, when they wore their white shorts... I had trouble telling whether it was actually NYCFC or Sporting KC without actually having to look at it. This hopefully will give them a little bit more of a distinguished look. Kind of looks a bit like um, the New England Revolution's kits, but I definitely would say it's an upgrade over their previous ones. Like I said, their previous ones were very vanilla, didn't feature to what I like, the navy and the orange highlights to it. and So like I said, overall it's an upgrade in the next year. The other club is the hometown Chicago Fires change kit for next year. Gone is the gray, and the jersey will return to the previous editions will be white. It'll have the three stripes on the top being in red. The stripe in the middle will be red with navy stripes on the top and the bottom. Kind of like, in a sense, the red and navy on the crest, but reversed. So it'll be a large red stripe in the middle. They're currently show, footy headlines is currently showing it with no sponsor because the team doesn't have one. Their three-year contract with Valspar expired, and Valspar was not going to renew since they were purchased by Sherwin Williams. I believe the Valspar brand may be going away, and so they don't have a sponsor deal yet. It sounds like their AT&T is the rumored one, which is one of the MLS national sponsors. I don't know if that's an upgrade or a downgrade, but it is what it is. We'll see how it looks when in person, but Footy Headlines has that one. I don't think it's an upgrade. I actually would say it's a downgrade. Even though it has the red navy, I, I was kind of partial. I like the gray. I thought it was unique in terms of the league. Although when you think about it, change kits are the ones that you typically do some experimenting with. You really don't identify the club as your change kit being your prominent one. You want that to be your home kit, which the Fire's red has been... It's for the as far as the league goes, it's iconic, I guess, for lack of a better term, other than the couple years of the Quaker where they looked more like a can of Quaker oats or a Pepsi can. 
the fires kit have stayed pretty true to form in that with with the red and the white stripe and their current ones have it in which they look wonderful so no need to change that and I guess overall like I said I think their change kit will be a downgrade for next year but it's not an awful kit by any stretch of the imagination will I pick it up eh we'll see I guess not really sold on it yet but then again I haven't seen it in person they haven't it's just a leaked headline from footy headlines so I thought that was interesting to share for the week the last part of the show is always going to be my beer of the week the beer I'm drinking for tonight is from Goose Island again this week, and it is Old Man Grumpy Pale Ale. Hey, when you're an old man and you're grumpy like I am, why not have an Old Man Grumpy Pale Ale? As far as beers go, it's it's a pale it's a it's not quite an IPA. It doesn't have nearly the hops. It's a little bit smoother than that, but it drank pretty well. So I would definitely recommend that as a beer to pick up. And that brings us to the end of this week's show. Again, I can be reached at minivandadpod or at my own personal Twitter feed at TJZaremba. Please send questions. Please send teams that you think I should take a look at, especially the big clubs. I'm trying to to expand my horizons and find clubs I can watch or find clubs that pique my interest that way. And until next time, Morbi Magis Milius. Thanks for listening.